It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Manchester United through to the FA Cup fourth round, but not convincingly. Steven Gerrard comes back to Old Trafford, tries to look big, but loses the match. And at least that's a satisfying way to welcome a Liverpool legend back to the Theatre of Dreams. Uh, welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, the Series 7, Episode 20, as we have two games against Aston Villa within the space of a week, a rare phenomenon in the fixture schedule that's actually happened to Manchester United twice this season, having done the same in September against West Ham. We'll be talking about our FA Cup win against against Villa on Monday night, thanks to Scott McTominay's early header, uh, reminiscent of last year's third round win against Watford, where he did exactly the same thing. And then we'll be talking about our second game against Aston Villa, away at Villa Park in the Premier League, an important one as Ralph Rangnick's team look to get back to winning ways in the league and not just the FA Cup. Jack, uh, as we were saying before, it's the, we've got the nice privilege of talking about the game a couple of days after it's happened a couple of days uh, for things to cool down a bit, but how are you in general? Um, I've, I've, I'm in a good mood. I think I'm starting this with a smile because I've just cycled home with a lovely sunset, um, which has now gone down and it's now dark, which may be an appropriate way to start a Manchester United podcast at the moment. But I'm starting with a smile. Doing all right, mate. Yeah, nicer today. I've just been minus fifteen here in Chicago for the last couple of days, and it's above freezing today, so <laughs> can't can't complain too much. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice having a bit of space from the game always gives you, I think, a bit more perspective. And yeah, it's easy to get caught up in, you know, the initial reaction from the game. And my initial reaction was not very good. So hopefully we'll be able to give a much broader and balanced view on what's happened, given that we've had a couple of days off. Yep, exactly. What do you wear in minus 15? Do you even leave the house? Not really, to be honest. I try not to. Just got a massive winter coat, hat, gloves, scarf, the whole lot. I think I've been out once in it so far. Yeah. I saw someone say it's a, a sign of climate change that we're watching a an FA Cup third round match at Old Trafford and you don't need to wear gloves or a hat or a scarf or even a coat yeah. really. Um, a very temperate uh, weather at Old Trafford at the moment despite the... the to be winter. honest, I often feel this, some of you might know I'm a big fan of the NFL as well and I often think this when I watch some of the games here. Like I, f- I flew through Minneapolis the other day when I was coming back to Chicago and I've landed there. It was my negative 16 Fahrenheit, which is about minus Ooh. 25 Celsius. And it's just like, 
they they play out I know Minnesota have an indoor stadium but other teams have outdoor stadiums playing in like minus 20 weather like how do you do could you imagine if a Premier League game tried to get played in that sort of weather it just wouldn't happen yeah, yeah. yeah like frozen which player Kieran Tierney would probably still have his short sleeves on yeah, yeah. Tierney Scott Brown I'm not sure who who in the United team would McTominay. maybe Martial would still have the short sleeves and gloves combo yeah it's pretty classic um, I feel like McTominay just, is probably the, the closest style. we have to anyone like that yeah well, plays for Scotland, but not actually born there. Born in the more, yeah, temperate Lancashire. So perhaps not. Right, let's um, let's move on from talking about the weather and talk about Manchester United, who are just as inconsistent, I think it's fair to say. Uh, although actually <laughs> nice quite, quite consistent. Yeah, yeah. It was smooth until I realised we are actually quite consistent at the moment in how dispiriting our performances are. Uh, we are through it. First of all, we are through in the FA Cup. We are one step closer to Wembley, one step closer to a cup. There was a fantastic rendition in the Stretford end of we're on the march with Ralphie's army at the end, which was a, a joy to be a part of. And, and that is exactly the reminder that we need sometimes that final five minutes where that song was going that actually this is a cup competition and you just need a bit of luck here and there to go and win it. And we could really dearly do with a trophy. So first of all, we're through in the FA Cup. We've got a uh, an uninspiring draw in the fourth round with Middlesbrough at home. Not one to really get excited about, but one that Manchester United would obviously be clear favourites for. So that's another positive. So we're through in the Cup. That's a positive. On the other hand, um, so many issues showing themselves all throughout the game. And we could probably count ourselves quite lucky to be in that fourth round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even... Even taking out the the offside or disallowed goal, which I guess it's still not entirely clear what what it was disallowed for. I think it was the block on Cavani, but at least watching mm-hmm. it, it was just a mess. But yeah, I mean, very, very lucky. Even discounting the, the disallowed goal, probably on balance deserved, probably at best to draw, if not to lose the game. It was another just sort of strange and unsatisfying performance by United. We started the game thought pretty positively actually I thought we looked in the first 15 to 20 minutes the best that we have probably since Ranić's first game against Palace we dominated proceedings still looked a little bit open at the back but we were creating far more chances than we have done the press seemed to come seemed to come back and then it just it just sort of fell off and that period from about half an hour until the moment when Donny van der Beek came on and we changed to a diamond formation in midfield really we were absolutely dominated by Aston Villa and very, very lucky not to concede in that period because they really deserved it. You look at the raw stats in this game and uh, I think we had like 15 shots, and which isn't too bad, but I think 12 of those 15 were from outside the box. So we'll come on to sort of the selfishness that we showed. Yeah, it was, you know, it, it wasn't a very good United performance, but it is the cup. You win, you take it, you move on. But I think there were... It was frustrating in the, at both ends of the game, at the start and the end. I think we showed signs that this team can move forward from what we saw against Wolves, but the meat of it in the middle was still a lot of the same issues that we saw against Wolves last week. Yeah, absolutely. I think one one more positive before we, I think we're going to break it down into defence and attack, what was going wrong. Um, or maybe maybe in possession and out of possession is a, a better way of doing it. But the one positive I will say is for, for all that Aston Villa probably deserves to score a goal at some point, um, regardless of the disallowed one, well, disallowed two, both of which were offside and rightly called, even if they took a long time. The, the, the one positive you came away thinking was there was six minutes of added time and Aston Villa never looked like scoring in those six minutes of added yeah. time. 
And if you think back, I mean, it's a small sample size. I'm not going to say United have suddenly got better at seeing games out, but even if it's a one-off, that was, that was, I I was thankful for that. And so are my fingernails and my heart rate. Um, Anthony Langer came off the bench, played a big role in that. Donny van der Beek did and so did Jesse Lingard. They were good subs. They changed the game. They brought a little bit of uh, control back for United. And in the end, despite how much we were under threat for the rest of the game, actually at the end of it, we we were relatively comfortable. So that is a positive. Yeah, we were. We've said before that, you know, a couple of years ago, one of the United team's big weaknesses was seeing out games. And I, I was actually thoroughly impressed with how we did it. We we kept the ball in Villa's half for the vast majority of the last sort of 10 minutes or so. I think van der Beek coming on and not just his performance, but more so I think the, the change in formation that that signalled us going to a yeah. diamond really, really helped because that was the point I think where you felt like the game was probably going to slip away from us. I think without that change, it felt inevitable that Villa, the pressure was going to tell at some point. We changed that diamond, got more of a grip in midfield and it stopped Villa being able to play through us with so much ease. And then, yeah, I thought actually Ilanga and Lingard coming on did really, really well helping us see out that game. They helped us keep the ball. They were really willing runners in the final third, both to stretch Villa, get the ball in the corners, but also closing them down. So those two actually, along with Van der Beek, those subs, you know, they probably won't be substitute performances that we'll remember for a long time. They weren't sort yeah. of impactful in terms of scoring or assisting or doing anything magical, but actually just with the little things that they did and the way that they changed the way we set up, I think all three of them came on and made a real difference and, you know, deserve a lot of credit for the way they helped us see out the game. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about out of possession, predominantly defensively uh, first. There were so many mistakes and it, it was strange because you could look at it overall and say United played poorly. Uh, and that, that was obviously true, but it was the, the, the regularity of kind of individual errors, which in turn is saying something about the way either the execution of the game plan by the players or a failure by the coaches to get that game plan across the players clearly enough for them to implement it. You can, we can't know which one of that it is. Uh, I think based on past evidence, we'd probably assume the former that it was the players not used to what Rennick is, is telling them yet. And, but then again, the, the coach needs some, needs to fix that. Um, I, I'm confident he will over the next few weeks and months, but it, we will see bumpy performances like this as, as I think we predicted when he arrived. But yeah, the, the, the kind of incompetence in defense, the not following runners, the, the typical, I think we've labeled it on this podcast, the Ander Herrera kind of one man yeah. gamble press. Um, charging at people, saw it all the time or diving in something. I think one of my, I think it, it sometimes it's, it's a, a positive from Fred, but it's often, it, I think I described him last season when he was in a, a poor bit of form as, as just too loose. He's, he's loose in the way he dives in. He's loose in possession sometimes, but that's a separate argument. But yeah, not following runners, gambling in the, in the press or interceptions or diving in. We didn't even close down Aston Villa's long shots. Uh, John McGinn getting loads of space on the box and and how can you let that be happening? Everyone knows what McGinn can do if he's given that opportunity. Imagine when we come up against Coutinho next uh, on Saturday and then, yeah, the pressing was, it just looked, it it, it looked as it, uh, in the same way that it did sometimes under Solskjaer where to, where someone would lead it, Bruno Fernandes, 
Cristiano Ronaldo, whoever. In this case, it, well, it varied uh, against Aston Villa. But someone leads it. Maybe two people follow them. And United actually do well. They put the keeper under pressure. They cut off the options to the fullbacks, to the centre-backs. But then there's this massive hole where the fullbacks haven't pushed up, the midfielders haven't pushed up, and then they just bypass the rest of the team. And, and it, it, the press has actually done the opposite idea. Instead of making it harder for the opposition, it, it's made it easier. We saw all of that. Um, all of these errors we've seen in the past, and they happened all game, really, um, until the end the end positive bit I think we were just talking yeah, about yeah I mean it's familiarly depressing I think or depressingly familiar as the saying goes not the other way around mm. I think to watch this United team in defence at the moment because it is pretty much the same mistakes that we've seen for a number of years I think what's what's odd sometimes about watching this United team is that we are a team that's very prone to sort of individual errors but they're not really they're not the type of errors that immediately spring to mind when I think about defensive errors. When I think of defensive errors, I often think of like, you know, someone misplacing a pass or just completely getting bullied off the ball. It's often actually not anything on the ball. It's all off ball mistakes, yeah. which just makes us look so disjointed to watch. And, you know, the one thing that we thought was going to be a given when Ranier came in was that regardless of anything else, we would become a much better, much, co- much more cohesive pressing team and it hasn't really happened and that really is the source of a lot of the issues that we have in defence at the moment because too often what you see is you see one or maybe two players going to press the ball really really well and you know they, they sometimes they do it in like a really really good manner they press the ball really early they shut down the shut down the angle they're trying to shut down but because it's only one or two players it's just too easy to play through us there was one point I remember in the first half it was after we'd scored uh, when the press is actually going, you know, doing pretty well at the start of the game, and the front, the front four had all pressed high up the pitch. Martinez had the ball in goal. You had Cavani stopping the ball to the centre back. Bruno stopping the ball to the, the central midfielder, and then Rashford and Greenwood were really pushed up as well. And then, so you have all those four doing it, you know, very, very well. But Martinez just clips the ball over the top of the four yeah. of them to the right back, Matty Cash, and then they're on the attack. And yeah. not only are they on the attack, but Shaw now has a two against one on the left, on our left side, as you've got Cash and their right winger, I think it was Buendia, um, both on that side. You know, it's just little things like that where you just think, how, how has this not been improved by now? You know, and I said, this is the one thing, this is what Ranik has built his career on. And it's just too often we just got played through with so much ease. And it's, it's quite frustrating to watch when you just see it happening over and over again. And it's not just on the training pitch, it's also on the pitch itself as you're watching that. I've said this before, so many of the errors that we see in this United team are glaringly obvious. And if they're yeah. glaringly obvious to you and I, Harry, who, you know, are fans of football but don't claim to be any sort of experts or, you know, have never actually spent any time in, in management at any sort of higher level, how are they not being seen and rectified by the players themselves on the pitch? You know, it's not just Ranić on the training ground. It's also the players on the pitch are, should be the ones fixing this as well. So they all have to take responsibility for it because it's getting really, really frustrating. And to me, it's quite boring just watching this team make the same mistakes in defence over and over again. Yeah, I think that's that's a major concern is is how how much faith do we have in the players in this United team to fix things on the pitch? Very little. How much have we seen that happen in the past? Very, very little. And and it's not as if this is something new expected of footballers. I always remember the, the great stories about great United captains and players, 
particularly Brian Robson and Roy Keane was that ability to, I'd rather give another example because those are obviously the, arguably the two greatest captains in United history. So it's probably not fair to compare the current players with those specifically, but the examples I have of hearing come from those two where like Sir Alex Ferguson would tell a player to to implement something on the pitch and he'd say, oh, well, Robbo's already told us. Uh, Brian Robson would take decisions on the pitch for the manager. And some managers probably wouldn't like that. I can think of one ex-Manchester United manager who'd probably hate that, maybe two. Um, but I think most would. You want your your leaders in a team to to take responsibility and make those enact those changes and, and tell people what to do and 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 change the game. It's a different type of leadership, I guess, but it's, it's one that's really valuable. I think the other concerning thing is talking specifically about the press is it would it would be more comforting if what we were seeing was United being exploited because we were kind of on our way to pressing right under Ragnik, but not quite. Some Occasionally in the game, we get it a little bit wrong or it, it just happens to go a bit wrong or there's a moment of quality from the opposition and we get exploited and they capitalise. Okay, that, that's all right. But because what we expect to see is those swarms, which we saw against Crystal Palace and they worked, where you, you kind of... You, you swarm the opposition, you push them up against the touchline and you use the touchline as kind of an extra one, two defenders even, and you, you pin them in. And And what we said after the Palace game is if a team does it well, and I think Palace did this in the second half back in December, if a team knows about it and does it well and they can get that out ball, that long diagonal pass over to the other side of the pitch and switch it, then you're you're kind of relying on your one-on-one defensive ability to... to uh, fix it to make up for that. If that was happening, it w- I'd, I'd be comforted at least. The problem is we're not seeing that. We're not seeing teams capitalise and and beat the United press. We're just seeing it simply not happening in the way we expected it to. And I think we expect it to happen in the way we've seen with other Rangnick teams and also other good pressing teams. We're just not seeing that. And that's the concern. It's not that the pressing is is going wrong. It's that it doesn't even look how look anywhere near how it should now, we, we've said before for a number of years on this podcast that we don't expect perfection in the United team I don't think any fan does and any fan that, that does expect perfection is kidding themselves no team in the world is perfect every game or probably not even ever perfect for 90 minutes of any one game what we want is to see two things one improvement And that doesn't necessarily mean that every single game has to be an improvement on the last, but over a long period of time, you want to see that generally you're moving in the right direction. And two, you want to see a plan and that there is clear evidence of a way that we want to play, what we're trying to do, even if it doesn't work the the way it's intended to every single game. So we're not, it's not like we're asking these players to have all of a sudden become pressing monsters you know overnight after a couple of training sessions it's not what we're asking for but we want to see some sort of sustained commitment to actually playing in that manner to actually you know committing to the press every game that we play wherever it's possible and also to see that over you know it's now been you know seven eight weeks since maybe not quite that six or seven weeks since Ranić took over you know we want to see some amount of progress being made and we we aren't seeing it it seems like every game is slightly different in this game against Villa, I thought the press was actually probably the, like I said, as I said before, the best that we've seen since the Palace game. It wasn't perfect, 
but was you know we we sit we seemed more committed to doing it and then we just we started dropping off and by the time we got to the second half you know we weren't really putting any pressure on on the ball when the ball was in Villa's half of the pitch and when we did it was generally just one person as we've said it's just all a bit confusing to be honest I think that's probably the one word I would use to describe Ranić's time at United so far is confusing because he's saying all the right things he has said all the right things before he started at United when he first came in, his first few yeah. press conferences. Even this week, I thought he said all the right things in the lead up to the to the Villa game after the disappointment of the Wolves defeat. And yet things on the pitch just aren't quite marrying up to that. And it's not just the execution of it. It's also just some of the decision making isn't, it just doesn't seem to quite stack up with what he's saying off the pitch. Yes, agreed. I, I think we'll start to see improvements soon, but it's it's just, yeah, it's worth bearing in mind. Just the pressure at the moment as a United player it must be so intense and they've got to be able to deal with that and whether that's their own ability to deal with that or they're helped to be able to deal with that. I'm not saying they, they've got a free pass because there's loads of pressure on them. Um, but yeah, it must be very intense at the moment. Let's talk about out of possession. Uh, sorry, in possession as we pile more and more pressure on them. I saw some people saying it was it was maybe the best United had attacked since Palace, but I'm not, I'm not sure I can give that compliment because it was still really poor. Um, so we started in the 4-2-3-1, really, before changing to the diamond, as you said earlier. The one words you wanted to raise earlier was um, selfishness. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I mentioned before that I think, I think the stat is that we had 15 shots and 12 of them were from outside the box. And to be honest, if you watch the game, you don't even need me to tell you that to tell you those numbers, to know that there was a lot of instances where players just made the selfish choice and the wrong choice. And it happened so often throughout the game. And it's something, it's a theme that we picked up on in the last episode after the, the defeat against Wolves. It happened throughout the match against Villa. There were just so many situations where our players, our four attackers primarily, would pick up the ball in good situations. They drive forward and they would just choose the wrong option. And, you know, eight, nine times out of 10, the option that they chose was the one to shoot from distance or shoot when they had a better pass on. There was probably one instance I can remember where that didn't happen. And that was when Fernandez was running through and slipped in Cavani to his right. And uh, Ming's got a slight block on the shot and Martinez parried it away. But other than that, it, it just... I said in the last episode when we talked about, you know, effort levels and how I don't like just sort of blaming effort you know, I don't like just sort of blaming a bad performance on a lack of effort. And that when yeah. a, when players do display a lack of effort, it's often usually due to either their physically their, their body not being able to catch up with what their mind knows that they should do, or two, it, it can be down to a little bit of selfishness and not innately wanting to work for the person next to you. And I think yeah, I mean, this I, game... Just to intervene, it can also be like a clouded mind. There's so many factors at play. Yeah, especially here. when you especially when you get tired towards the end of a game. Yeah, and and you know that. Uh, say you're getting to the end of the game, you've got 20 minutes left. Your team are winning, so the 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 kind of the onus is on making sure they don't concede. Obviously, you're still looking to score goals, but the the real thing is let's hold on to this lead. And you know you haven't scored that goal, and you haven't scored for however many games. The pressure is on. It, it's not been coming off for you. The crowd's been kind of groaning at what you've been doing that's that's the stuff that clouds your head again I'm not I'm not saying this is an excuse but it, it's not just selfishness or or tiredness or uh, injury there is the, the, the mental aspect 
as football grows and grows and the pressure gets greater and greater. It's the fact that the microscope gets greater and greater. The fact that everything now is clipped out onto social media. Everything is clipped out. The, the most, you could, but in the past you could make five mistakes in a game and if you scored, then it was fine. I feel like that's not even the case anymore. But anyway, carry on your point. Well, I, 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 everything you're saying is true, but I think with this United team at the moment, what's concerning is that it's not just players making a few mistakes here and there and then getting amplified. It's, it, it's a pretty consistent trend that we're seeing, which is what's concerning. Yeah. It's not just one player. You know, I guess Ronaldo is sort of the classic example of this. He's obviously throughout his career faced accusations of being very selfish and has been selfish at times at United, but it's not just him. And, you know, he was, obviously wasn't even in the squad against Villa. There were multiple times where, Greenwood and Rashford were, were the main culprits of it where they'd pick up the ball in a good position, they'd come in field, Greenwood onto his left foot, Rashford onto his right. And instead of, you know, trying to play a one-two or try and put a ball into the box for Cavani, they'd, they'd shoot from 30 yards. And, yeah. you know, it just... The, the, the best example of this, which I'm sure everyone has already sort of thought, got their own thoughts on, is when towards the end of the game where Greenwood ran, drove into the box, had a shot saved and Rashford didn't really go for the rebound. Now, I knew that a lot would be made out of that. And to be honest, I think it's right. I think it's right that a lot is made out of it because that was, yeah. it was just so blatant that he, he wasn't, you know, really even trying. And I, I totally agree with you, Harry, that there was, I think most of that was mental. You know, that wasn't him just being lazy. It was a completely yeah. sort of mental block, I guess, and, and sort of mental fogginess that stopped him from going for it. And I think basically it, it seemed at least to stem from the fact that it's like, well, if Greenwood isn't going to pass me the ball in the first place, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother. You know, it's like, if it's not laid on a plate for me and I, and I, I'm not blaming just Rashford here because everything in the game up to that point from both him and Greenwood and others, this whole sort of selfish streak that had run through the team, I think contributed to Rashford in that exact moment, not, you know, busting the gut to get to that ball. But I think it is worrying signs for United because it is, and we are, we are a team we're a team of young players as well. They shouldn't be feeling like this, really. I, yeah, it, it's partly that. I think the one that, because we know that Rashford and Greenwood have that as a trait and they need to change it. But the one that really concerned me was, was it against Wolves where Cavani shot from yeah. 30 yeah. yards when they were a clear up? That that was the one that, I suppose, at the time, it concerned me. But looking back now after the Villa game as well, concerns me even more. Because then you're wondering... Is because the clear focus from Ranick at the moment is is on solidifying the defence, keeping clean sheets, and 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 calming things at Manchester United, and and making sure we've got that solid base to to then build on. Fine, fine with that. Um, but you're then wondering what is the what is the in possession game plan here? Because when he arrived, we heard everything about uh, you you've got you're trying to get a shot away within eight seconds. We heard all these things about in training, the, the, the clock being on the wall to win the ball back and then get a shot away. We're not seeing that. And it, it's not as if these kind of shot happy forwards are coming from wanting to do that. It's not, they're not doing these things kind of quicker than before trying to get shots away. Because then maybe you'd be able to say, oh, well, we're, we're kind of, they're, they're overcompensating. I don't think it is that. I'm, I'm wondering how much emphasis has been, how, how much instruction has been given on how Manchester United are meant to attack at the moment, what we're meant to do with the ball. 
And that Cavani one, because if it was just Greenwood and Rashford, I'd feel completely comfortable in in saying, well, these two players have to change. I still feel comfortable saying that. But the fact that it was also Cavani as well made me think, well, what is it about this team where everyone, all the attackers feel as if it's them who, who shoots at the end of it? Um, but yeah, it, w- it was bad. I, I'm not sure I see it as selfishness as I see it more as decision-making. I see it as a, a bit of that fog where, because if your decision-making is, I mean, even half, uh, half, 0.05 of a second off in football, that's all the defender needs to nip in. And we're seeing that a little bit with Rashford and a little bit with Greenwood. And because of that, I think when they then get into those key situations, well, you're seeing Rashford and Greenwood lose the ball, not in the penalty area, not when they've got a chance to shoot on goal, but before that. And I think that then sticks in your head. And then when they get into those kind of crucial positions where it's shoot or pass, I think they're concerned about losing the ball again and go and going for the shot, which is normally the easy option. It, it's easy to shoot because you don't have to look up and scan around you. You just have to set your sights on goal, get your head down and, and pull the trigger. I fear it's a bit of that. And it's it's a bit of the fog around decision-making. It's also a bit of, uh, what's the word? Just the fact that decision-making has has never really been good enough. Um, we both know, we know that both of them have the ability to become better decision-makers. We know they've shown the ability when they're in form and confident. And this is why I think it's a mental problem to make the right decisions much more often. If you think about Rashford at his best, he was not only a, uh, a good goal scorer, but he was massively important to the way United build, built chances up, created chances. He would take it inside sometimes and spread it to the, the other side of the pitch. He would play one-twos inside. He would sometimes cross it across, across the face of goal. This is not a player who's shown all throughout his career bad decision-making. Yes, it's always been able to improve, but it's not all throughout his career been bad. The potential is there. And that's why I think it's a, a mental thing. And that's that's the concern is how, I mean, how does it how does it now change? I don't know. Yeah, I think once you start going down that path, it is quite difficult to to alleviate that. You know, it it does become something that is a little bit ingrained. I think now really is the time it has to be sort of nipped in the bud. And, you know, mm. how, how you go about doing that is sort of the question. I guess you sort of have two options. One is you drop the players that have been, you know, the main culprits. And I think Rashford, Greenwood, Cavani have probably been the most obvious. It hasn't just been them. I, rem- I remember Sancho against Wolves doing something very similar to Cavani when he had Ronaldo available, I think, to his left. It was That was just before, I think, the Cavani one against Wolves. You know, Ronaldo himself is not always the, the most selfless player. So that's sort of one option. You sort of drop the players. The other is, I think, just work harder on the training ground on, you know, with a real focus on trying to develop more combination and link up between these players. I think that's something that I've been really struck by under Ranić yeah. is just how little of any sort of link up there has been between whoever has played in those front four positions. It's basically been, you know, you give the ball to whoever the creator is in the team that day, whether it's Fernandez or Sancho, as it's been primarily, and you sort of it's it's just them with a the ball to whoever's playing up front. There's been nothing really between the two strikers, between the wingers and the strikers. Like you said, went to more of a four-two-three-one, which I think suited us a bit better in attack. I do think, despite all this criticism, I do think we were better going forward against Villa. Still not great, but better. 
But even yeah. then, still, yeah. you know, there was nothing really be- between Rashford and Greenwood, between Rashford and Cavani, between Greenwood and Cavani. You know, there, there was still just nothing really between them. It's all give the ball to one of them, let them do their thing. And it, that, that is probably contributing partly to this sort of selfishness that's running through everything because they, they just don't have, it doesn't seem like anyway that on the, the training pitch it's been drilled into them how to sort of create space and opportunities for each other. I think, I think now you say it. Yeah. I think that's the key. If, if you're United manager right now, because what athletes often do in all sports is, is when the pressure is on and they're feeling a complete, completely bereft of confidence, you're always told to go back to basics. But I, I always fear that's the wrong step because once you go back to basics, the, the key to, um, has been scientifically proven many, many times with so many studies. Is that yeah? The the key is the um is repetition and and you learn and your your muscles physically learn and your brain physically learns how to do things right and you don't think about it it just happens because you've done it so many times and those pathways those neural pathways are, are strengthened every time you do something uh, and and they become quicker and quicker and elite athletes have incredible amounts of repetition behind them and that's why they're good and I fear by going back to basics often you see kind of athletes imagine a tennis player starts thinking about their stroke and then it, it has to be fluent or a golfer starts thinking about their, their stroke it it doesn't work like that and I fear that I fear that if Rashford tries to take things back to basics it won't go well if you start thinking about basics on a football pitch, like not basics of the team, like working hard and, and winning the ball back quickly and, and running hard, basics within your own game, I, I fear it would get worse. So if I was Rannick now, I'd be trying to involve Rashford as much as possible away from individual training and in team training and do what you say is, is, is just get these players enjoying playing together and getting those uh, combinations because we've said, I mean, Rashford and Martial have played some amazing stuff. Obviously, Martial's not involved at the moment. Rashford and Greenwood have played amazing stuff, and Cavani is, can obviously do that. Ronaldo can obviously do that. So, I'd, I would try and not make Rashford kind of work on his own game, but bring him in even more into the team and make sure he's always just playing in an environment where he hasn't got that chance to think about kind of like the real basics of football, where it's, it's instinct, and that will hopefully get that confidence back up. Because I do think, I think this is mainly a, a matter of confidence. It's not ability. Everyone knows Rashford's brilliant, can be brilliant. Um, so yeah, I guess we should move on to talk about Saturday's game. Would you play Rashford? Uh, no, I think I'd have him on the bench, but I think I'd be conscious of trying to bring him on at some point. I don't think that leaving him on the bench is the best way to to do things, but I do think he would benefit, honestly, just from being taken out of the limelight. This is, you know, I obviously don't know, don't know Marcus Rashford at all. And he strikes me as an incredibly strong individual, given, you know, everything that I do know about him. But this is probably the, the toughest stage in his Absolutely, career, yeah. at least on the, on the pitch yeah. that he's had at United. And, you know, I think, honestly, he probably would just benefit from being taken out of the spotlight a little bit, give him a little bit of a break to just sort of reset. And I think take some of the pressure off, off of him. The, the ideal scenario given what this United team has been like recently, it's doubtful that we'll be in this position. But the ideal scenario really would be that you can get to 65, 70 minutes against Aston Villa, be 2-0 up, and then bring bring Rashford on for the last 20 minutes or so, where you know he can play in 
a team that hopefully is full of confidence, holding on to a lead where he can have probably a good amount of space to roam and basically just take some of the pressure off him where we're not, we don't need him to come on and score the winning goal. It's just really about trying to build up some of his confidence again. Yeah. I think that's what I would do. I, for, for reasons of both his, his mental, not his mental state, that sounds wrong, but you know, his, his sort of mental, I guess, I guess mental state is the right word, but it feels like I'm calling into question like his mental health and I'm not. I just mean sort of mentally yeah. how he's doing on the yeah. pitch for the sake of that more so honestly than just his, his actual play. I think he should be, he should be dropped and, and put on the yeah. bench. I think that's fair. I think when you think about the, the value of Marcus Rafford to United, this should, I mean, it should be everyone at the club working to make sure to not, the, the club shouldn't be defending Marcus Rashford right now. They should just be taking him out of the limelight as much as possible. Just complete, make never, I, I, sometimes people like, when, when football clubs try to control the narrative, it's like, no, just, just leave this alone. Don't bring it up. And, and try your best as well to, United have a massive press office and they will obviously be doing this. Just try your best as well to stop the external press talking about Rashford in a negative way as well. Just take the pressure off. And yeah, you're right. Probably starting him on the bench would take the pressure off a little bit. It will obviously be a bit of a story because it, everything always will be around United. But then if, if you can bring him on, whatever the situation, um, hopefully that'll work. Uh, Saturday will be hard, won't it? Two games against Villa. How likely are we to win both of them? Not particularly. On the other hand, we play badly and won one. So maybe that was the one that we got away with and, and perhaps now we'll actually play well in, in one of them. Uh, what, what do you want to see here? Because we played two formations against Villa on Monday. First with a 4-2-3-1 and then with Van der Beek came in on. Rannick seemed pleased with Donny van der Beek. Perhaps, especially with Scott McTominay suspended. Luke Shaw's also suspended, so we'll see Alex Tellers at left back. Perhaps we'll see Van der Beek start in a with a diamond for United. And if Rashford's going to be dropped, that would also make sense because he doesn't fit quite as well in the diamond. Um so maybe maybe we'll see the diamond start. Yeah, and I really wouldn't be opposed to that, to be honest. I quite like the idea of a diamond of say Matic, Fred, Van der Beek and Fernandes with Cavani and Ronaldo or Greenwood and Ronaldo up front. I think that's actually a decent lineup. It is odd playing the same team twice in such short succession. Yeah. We've had this a lot recently. Like you, you mentioned we had it with West Ham at the start of this season. We also had it with Brighton at the start of last season as well. Yeah, We had the crazy game in the league and then played at the Amex a few days later in the League Cup as well. So it is, it is just a bit odd. And like you said, I think what we've got to hope for basically is that I think it's unlikely to think this United team will play well twice in a row. And so you've got to just yeah. hope that we've had our one bad performance and managed to get away with it and that we're due a better performance this weekend. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think the diamond, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we came up with it. Van der Beek, was, sorry, Ranić was very complimentary about Van der Beek and the impact that he had. So you'd hope that would sort of earn him a, a spot in the team. And with McTominay's suspension, it does seem to open up a spot for him there. If we don't play a diamond, I, I expect us to continue with the four-two-three-one. I think the four-triple-two is probably on the back burner a little bit for the next few weeks. I think it's we've given it a try; it hasn't really worked out. I think the fact that he moved to the four-two-three-one against Villa is quite telling for what we might see yeah. going forward. And I think Fernandez in particular seemed to benefit a lot from being back in a number ten role rather than being pushed out wide. So I think it'll be the diamond or the four-two-three-one. I mentioned my team with the diamond. If we go with the the four two three one, then maybe I'm I'm always a bit 
I'm, I'm never quite sure what to do with Van der Beek when we play 4-2-3-1 because ideally you'd want him to play as a number 10, obviously. But I doubt Fernandes will be dropped anytime soon. And then it's a bit different playing a central, central midfield role in a diamond where you've got two other central midfielders around you in Matic and Fred versus playing in a two, uh, in a 4-2-3-1. I don't know if I like Van der Beek in a two-man midfield at the base of 4-2-3-1. So if we play that formation, I expect it'll be Matic and Fred. I think it basically yeah. comes down to, do you play a diamond with Van der Beek or do you play a 4-2-3-1 with probably Sancho on the wing instead of Van der Beek in midfield? Yeah. Regardless of formation, there's a lot of things we want to see different. I liked after the Wolves game, although it was a shame he didn't say it in his press conference, he just said it speaking to MUTV. So it got less uh, attention, I think. But he said about the Wolves game, I completely, I hated it. I want a completely different performance. Um, which we obviously didn't see, but I, I like the fact that he said he hated the game against Wolves because so did everyone else. Um, but yeah, the same idea about completely different performance remains. And and there were signs of it for for all of all of the for all of the negativity and the fact that Aston Villa was overall not a good performance. The first 15, 20 minutes in particular, and the last ten minutes, they did show that we are capable. There were little signs that maybe things you know are potentially going to improve. It's just about doing that for longer periods of the game. It's also, as we said earlier, when we ran through the out of position mistakes, they should be relatively easy to fix with some clear instructions like don't dive in. And I mean, teaching a team how to press effectively is much harder. That's why the good managers get paid a lot of money to do it. But there were lots it's of- hard, It's hard. It's very hard to teach a team to do it well, but it's, it's, it's not that hard to teach a team to do it not terribly. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that's really what we want to get to. We just want to get to a point where we're not pressing awfully. And that in itself is not that hard. It's just don't go on your own. Go as a group. Yeah. You know, getting that fundamental down is really, that would actually make a very big difference to this United team defensively. That is not difficult. Yeah. You know, making us a, an amazing pressing team is very hard and will take a lot longer. Yeah. In terms of in possession, I think there's two things I want to see. One is the thing we've been talking about which is better decision making I think there should be a, a, a massive emphasis before the players go out should be on look up use your teammates and find that final ball don't just find the shot at the end of your run and the other thing should be getting players into the box I was shocked by and it, it, some, it makes sense sometimes because of the personnel, because Greenwood's not always great at this, Rashford's not always great at this, and Bruno's not always great at this. And it basically means it's either Cavani or no one. But the lack of players in the box against Villa, but also against Wolves, even with Ronaldo, and, and in past games as well, there's no one... You're not seeing United kind of dominate the, the other team's penalty area. There should, be, there should be bodies flying in there and then if if you then get counter-attacked, okay, but you should be able to defend against that. But yeah, you're not seeing, I fear that because we're kind of trying to get this defensive solidity, we're missing that. But yeah, you should see bodies flying in there from all angles. You should be making it really, really difficult. And that's what I want to see. There was a lovely um, analogy on the uh, Righty's House podcast this week from uh, Musok Wongo, who said, there's no one crashing into the box. He was talking about the goal that Lewis Graben scored for Nottingham Forest off the bench against Arsenal, uh, which was good fun. Um, and he said he he was, the players like that are running into the box like they're about to miss the last train home. And it's the perfect analogy. You just don't see that United. 
it goes back to the, the examples we spoke about earlier with Rashford and Greenwood and, and Cavani. And that's what I want to see is, is that intensity, that desperation to get into the box and, and finish the kind of scruffy goal, which is something Solskjaer spoke a lot about with Greenwood and Rashford as well. So hopefully we'll see that. We better wrap up. Thank you for listening to a, a slightly longer episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Been some fascinating things to talk about. Appreciate your support as always. And if you want to hear my and Jack's immediate thoughts on the game, if we're tweeting, you can find us on Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. It's a podcast. You can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 If you want to become a patron and listen to our bonus Q&As every week, which we're about to go and do, uh, go to Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod, P-O-D at the end, uh, for information about how to do so. Otherwise, we'll speak to you next week. Have a good one. Goodbye. Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.